0: Welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John, and on this week's show, it's just going to be me, Rod, and Solo again. You know, Faith will be popping in here and there whenever she wants, but... Like I said last week, it's hard for us to, you know, find a time together to record. We're both very busy people working opposite schedules. So this week is just going to be me again, but she did say she'll be on next week's show. Same thing with Matt. If we can ever get a guest, we'll get him on the show. But for the most part, it's just going to be me riding solo, which is lucky for you guys because you get to see this smiling and beautiful face here on the show. And we like to start off every single episode of the show with the news. And we got a big piece of news just in time for spooky season coming out in October. We are going to get The Mist on Facebook. 4K 2007's The Mist directed by Frank Darabont you know he had a great work in relationship with Stephen King and The Mist is probably one of his most memorable films mainly because of that ending. The ending to that film if you haven't seen it you're gonna get your socks knocked off with that one because it is one of the most shocking endings in film history and originally he wanted that film to be shot in black and white. I was talking with Shamrock this week or aka David and he told me that originally he wanted it released in black and white but the studio didn't want to do that Lionsgate so they said all right we'll compromise and on the DVD release it got a black and white edition and that's exactly what they're going to be doing here for the 4K release. Now, the 4K release does say that it's a 4-disc set. I'm not too sure if we're going to get the 4K version of it in black and white and in color, or if we're just going to get the colored version in 4K. I don't think they've announced that yet. I'm hoping that we get it loaded with special features. We get it in 4K in color, 4K in black and white, and then, you know, we get it in just on regular Blu-ray and black and white in color on there. So, I'm hoping that it's a real collector's edition like they're promoting it to be, and it could be one of the best releases of the year. I'm really excited for this one. The Mist is one of the better 2000 Horror films, and like I said, that ending it'll blow you away. So I'm really excited that we're finally going to be getting that on 4K. Really came out of nowhere, I didn't expect them to announce that this week. And speaking of horror, one of the horror films that has taken the world by storm, and I still haven't seen it yet, is Talk to Me. And that movie is going to be coming to 4K as well. And that's going to be, I believe, October 17th, 2023. So I'm just going to wait to see it on that 4K release. I'll pre-order it and I'll do a review here of the channel. I've heard so many good things about this movie and the fact that a couple of YouTubers made that really gives hope to us fellow YouTubers out there to really you know, crack that code and become success stories because these guys, they made a fantastic film. Apparently, I can't really speak on it because I haven't seen it yet. But from what I've heard and from everybody else is that this movie is fantastic. One of the best horror movies of the year. One of the scariest horror movies of the year. And from all the reviews I read and from people who have seen it that I've talked to, they've all said it's great. So I'm very much glad that that's getting a 4K release as well. You know, that's something that usually I would expect that to go just to Blu-ray because a kind of low-budget horror film like that, that's usually in line with what they do is they send it to Blu. That next year we'll get it on 4K so they can double dip. But I'm glad to see that it's getting a regular. 4k blu-ray release i'm very happy about that and i can't wait to check that one out like i said heard great things and then like how Kino lorba likes to usually do they announced some upcoming scans that they're working on movies like kindergarten cop cujo and lost in translation they're all they all got announced for 4k releases but no official release date although cujo did get finally announced for an official release date i believe in october of this year so we will get that on 4k again just in time for spooky season but they also announced that they're working on a brand new scan ...of sneakers from 1992 starring Robert Radford, Dan Aykroyd, River Phoenix, Sidney Paltier, and Ben Kingsley. A stack cast. One of the best early 90s movies. This movie's just a lot of fun. And they're working on a brand new 4K scan of that, which is great because then I can retire my old Blu-ray that I have. Which isn't a bad Blu-ray, but I'm really excited to see that on 4K. Kino Lorber, like I said, they love to preserve older films. ...give them new scans. Like, they're the ones who did Out of Sight on 4K. That's a movie that easily could have been forgotten from the late 90s. Even though it's a Steven Sodenberg film, people don't really talk about that movie. Even though it stars, again, George Clooney and J.Lo. That movie should be bigger than it is because, A, it's a fantastic film, it's a Soderbergh film, and B, it also ties into Jackie Brown because Ray Nicolette is in it, who's played by Michael Keaton and Jackie Brown, same character, so they have some overlap there, and that's really cool, you know, you don't get that much in the 90s where we get some, uh, I guess it's kind of a connected universe, but it's just the one character, but still, really awesome we got that in there, so I love that Kino Lorber is doing these transfers, I just wish we got some dates on when they were coming, like, they kind of just announced that they're working on the transfers, it's the same thing with The Hit. But I do get a little bit of updates on the Hitcher, and I heard that that's finally fully completed. I can't wait for that 4K. It's just they're going through right now quality control. So I don't think we're going to be getting that at the end of this year, but we should get the Hitcher on 4K early next year if I had my best guess. Even if it's just going through quality control now, you got to print the discs and all that stuff. So I don't think we'll be getting that in time for spooky season, which is probably when they wanted it to get out. But either way, or at least we're getting that movie on 4K because that's another classic film that deserves a 4K upgrade. I'm really looking forward to that. And that's really it as far as new announcements for 4K coming. You know, you get some rumors, but nothing that's official. And actually coming up this week, it's a very slow week. No new 4K releases. Uh well there is some, but nothing that I'm gonna be picking up. I mean Roman Holiday is coming to 4K. I'm sure some people are excited about that. I didn't pick that one up. I'm only gonna be reviewing Vacation on 4K this week, and I'm also gonna have a review for Paris, Texas from the Criteria Collection, which I think is one of the it's actually a top ten favorite film of mine of all time. And I figured since it's a slow week, we'll talk about that here on the channel. And there's a couple new releases coming to theaters. You got Blue Beetle and Strays coming out this week also. So even though August has been pretty slow at the box office, you know, Barbenheimer is still destroying everything else in its wake, and Blue Beetle is only getting projected to make about $30 million opening weekend, which really isn't good for another DC film, which has just had a horrible year at the box office between The Flash and Black Adam, and it looks like this movie is being projected to do about the same. My hope is, though, Blue Beetle is a better film than those movies, which it has the potential to be. I remember James Gunn was definitely hyping this one up, saying that this is the first film in his new DCEU, but apparently he's kind of pulled back on that, which makes me a little bit nervous, but. I'm still going to check out Blue Beetle. I'll give you guys a review of that. Strays, I'm really excited about. We don't get many studio comedies anymore. And the fact we're getting this one released in theaters, I know he's doing voice work. I know Will Ferrell's doing voice work in it. Jamie Foxx is doing voice work in it. And if you're a dog lover, this one looks like it's right up your alley. I'm looking forward to this one as well. As somebody who owns two dogs, and I love my dogs, we always play around with what they're thinking. You know, dogs are funny animals, man. They get freaked out anytime somebody walks by the house. They got to destroy everything just because, you know, somebody walked by the their house with another dog and they just get really excited to see other dogs out in the world and it looks like this movie is diving into that so i'm pretty pumped for it should be funny will ferrell really surprised me with his comedy as far as in barbie even though i think that he was actually his character was probably one of the weaker characters in barbie it still felt like old will ferrell old funny will ferrell i felt like i I drive i drive i drive a dodge stratus We've kind of been losing that over the last few years. Will Ferrell, I think, is one of the funniest people ever. I loved him on SNL. All the movies he put out in the early 2000s. Actually, I'm wearing a Will Ferrell shirt right now. This is from the other guys. And <laughs> I actually think that might be his best movie overall. It might not be his best performance, but I quote the other guys all the time. The honor fun. the flag. And you crap on it when you don't shoot your gun in the office. Soda Soda pop. Big, Big fresh can of soda pop. They do not care. Hey, how you doing? What are you doing here? Are you here for the bath mats? Plus, it's got Michael Keaton in it. And you guys know how I feel about Michael Keaton. The guy's a god. And he's one of the most underrated actors ever. Plus... He's Batman. So we actually got a good amount of questions this week, and some related right to 4Ks, and we're going to dive into those questions right now. And this one is from Stuart George, and Stuart George actually has his own YouTube channel you guys should check out. He does unboxings over there and reviews, so check him out. He does good work. I really am enjoying what he's doing, and he's been a longtime supporter of this channel, so he asked us a question. We're going to start off with his question this week, and he asked... Any tips for collectors running out of storage space for physical media? P.S. Don't say don't buy no more. No, I would never recommend, Stuart, that you don't buy more. You should always be buying movies and supporting physical media. I'm not against that. Unless you don't have the money, and then I completely understand. Save your money, you know. The physical media will always be there. Unless it goes out of print, which is something that us physical collectors have to always, always worry about. And especially if you're a fan of slipcovers. Because if stuff only gets it in its initial run, you kind of got to grab it then. And you can't wait for the sale because the sale might not have those slipcovers on it. So it's a real rock and a hard place for us collectors. You guys know it. We've all been down that path before. very unfortunate, but it's the way it goes. It's the name of the game. But if you're trying to save space, and actually this is funny because I literally just went through this. I'm working on my entire movie collection video. So while I was filming that video, I cleansed my entire collection. And I was going through everything that I feel like i'm not gonna ever watch again and i pulled off all of my doubles so that would be my recommendation take out all the doubles that you feel like you're never gonna watch again i know that it's tough decisions as far as like packaging goes i mean i had a nice home alone steel book i didn't want to let it go but you know unfortunately i have home alone on 4k i'm never gonna watch that so even though i do appreciate the artwork on it and i did keep some of my steel books that are doubles just because i love them so much but if i really feel like there is never gonna get any use out of it i pulled it off my shelf and i put it in my doubles pile and eventually actually we're going to be doing like a sort of give a live giveaway here on the channel for that so if you guys are interested in that you know we'll eventually talk about that and doing it more but I pulled a all of my doubles off and then I also pulled off movies I feel like I'm not gonna watch again I have about a thousand films here and I had a ton of doubles and I also had a ton of movies that I only I only really bought to watch and I was hoping I would re-watch them like you know new releases coming out big one was for me was a uh, fox catcher I bought that movie just in time for the Oscars that year because I believe it got nominated for best picture and I think Steve Carell got nominated for best actor so I wanted to check that movie out before the Oscars so I bought it on blu-ray And I just absolutely hated the movie, but it's been in my collection ever since then, so I decided, you know what, I'm never going to go back to this movie, so I pulled that one off, and I did the same thing with a bunch of movies in my collection that I feel like I'm never going to go back to, they're just really sitting there collecting dust, they serve no purpose in my collection, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to take this out, that'll go into the giveaways, I don't really need to hold on to this because they don't really serve any purpose here on my shelf because I'm not going to go back to them. Now, of course, when you have these many movies, the chances of you rewatching every single one of them again are slim to none. I don't think any of us have that much time. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of hours, I'm sure, on the shelf here just because of all the extras and everything like that you know especially if we if you're working and you have a full-time job you know you really probably can only fit in maybe one movie a day that's what i try to go for is one movie a day on the weekends it might get a little bit more but if i'm editing or filming i don't really have time to put a movie on and i'm really bad at multitasking like i can't have like the extras running in the background behind me while i'm editing because i have to focus on editing but everyone else might not have that problem so maybe you get to put a movie on in the background while you're doing all this stuff. I can't do that. I like to be fully committed and invested in something. So if I'm editing, I'm invested in editing. If I'm watching a movie, I'm invested in that film, and that's really it. It's just my my brain just can't really handle that. Like, I really like to have music on in the background while I'm doing stuff, but then I start getting invested in the music, and then it turns into a real problem, and I get just absolutely nothing done. But I think the best way to save space is just to be honest with yourself. I think it's always better to have quality over quantity. I feel like there's a lot of collectors out there they just want to have every single movie available to them and possibly even in different formats and that's cool Uh, i understand that maybe you want the steelbook and the regular version on 4k but there's no reason for that you got to be honest like when it goes on your shelf, you're only going to be using one of those discs. Now, there are exceptions, like I've said before. I have Terminator 2 on 4K in its slipcover version and in that beautiful Lionsgate Steelbook version. I'm never going to watch either of those cuts again. I usually go back and watch the Skynet edition on Blu-ray, but because I'm such a Terminator fan and I love the artwork on both of them, I had to have them in my collection, but I'm never going to watch them. And that's something, with me being honest to myself, maybe I should have pulled those off and put them into my you know doubles pile, but I didn't. But you got to be honest with yourself and with your space, you know, what are you going to go back to? I feel like you should always go for the movies you're going to watch. If you don't like a movie, there's no really reason for it to be in your collection. It should, your collection should be curated to you and the movies that you like. My collection for me is only really filled with movies that I like or some movies in there that my wife likes. But for the most part, it's only movies that I'm going to run back to. I don't feel the need to have 10,000 movies if I'm not going to watch 10,000 movies. For me, the movies are the juice. The disc itself is really what gets me in the door. The packaging is really just a bonus. I love beautiful packaging. I love artwork. You know, I used to be sold on that when I used to go to Blockbuster back in the day, so that was a huge deal for me. But now, you know, it, as long as the disc is good, I can get over poor packaging. I'll take points off on of my final score if you do if you half-ass it, but it's not something that sells me on it. I, if the 4K disc is good enough, that I'm walking away happy. And as long as you include some extras, because if you just give me a bare-bones package, now we have a serious problem. I just want to have the best version of the film possible on my shelf, and that's how I curate my collection personally so Stuart, that was a great question thank you so much and i hope i helped i hope i gave you guys some good advice how to you know clean up your collection as far as saving space because eventually we're all gonna run out of space i'm looking at my shelf right now i only have two empty shelves completely right now and the rest of them are almost full so eventually in the next year or two i'm gonna run out of space and i don't know what i'm gonna do and i just cleansed the collection so I guess next year we're going to have some more tough decisions to make. So again, thanks, Stuart. Let's move on to the next question. And this one is from Tell'em Freddy sent you. Alien 1978 in 4K. Is it a good transfer or no? Thinking about buying it. Well, I got Alien right here on 4K. And buddy, it is a beautiful transfer. There's actually a review for this 4K and the Dr. Sleep 4K together here on the channel. But it's a very old video. It came out last year, you know, while we were still getting our footing together. You could check it out if you want, like, my full thoughts on it. I don't know if I had the right vocabulary yet. But hey, it's somewhere here on the channel. You can go look for it. Uh, I just rewatched this about... Two months ago, I watched Alien 3 for a David Fincher video, and I figured, hey, I'm in the mood. I'm going to go back and watch Alien. And this is a beautiful 4K. So it was put out by 20th Century Fox, actually, before the Disney merger. So we got lucky because, if you guys know, Aliens is stuck in basically 4K hell because Disney bought 20th Century Fox or 20th Century Films now. So they're holding on to that. And supposedly, the transfer is done for that movie, but they just refused to release it. And that's just a rumor. It's like the same thing with Fight Club. But... I have it here, and I got a really nice slip cover on it. I really like this. If you, I don't know if you could tell on camera, it's like a lenticular slip cover. As far as like in the alien font and even on the side, it's got that. You go underneath, you get the same box work, you get the same box art. It's a two disc set, so you get it on Blu-ray and in 4K. Plenty of extras. I also like how on the Blu-ray they kind of instead of using blue, they use green. Really nice little touch there to really make it feel a little bit more special. But as far as the 4K quality goes, it's fantastic. You know, most of this movie takes place in very dimly lit areas. The dark ship, the dirty, gritty ship. It looks perfect in 4K. The alien monster looks great with all its shit dripping out of its teeth. Looks amazing in 4K. I also thought it was a pretty big jump from the previous Alien Blu-ray, which I have somewhere in the collection over here because I have an entire Alien set. Uh, what did they call that the quad they called it something like the quad trilogy or something like that where it's the first four films on blu-ray I only chose to upgrade alien to 4k mainly because we don't have any of the others on 4k I think maybe alien covenant, but I could be wrong about that I know Prometheus isn't on 4k. I do have that on blu-ray around here somewhere, too But for me, I think alien is still the best film in the alien franchise I mean people love aliens more and I get that I'm a big Jim Cameron guy but I still prefer the original alien done by Ridley Scott and mainly because of the beautiful set design and the tension alien is a horror film you know it's really just a monster hunting. That's it. Once we get to aliens, it's a ton of them. You know, it turns into more of an action movie, whereas this one is a sci-fi horror movie. And it really sets up Ridley so well. We don't even realize that she is the lead in this movie until about halfway through. At first, we think it's Tom Skerritt. Like, they really set him up to be the lead in this film. But, you know, we know what happens to him throughout the film, and then it really just ends up with Ripley by the end. Ripley the cat and the alien. And, I mean, the tension that this movie builds. But, yes, Freddie, I can highly recommend that you grab this 4K Blue I promise you, you're going to love it. Um, doesn't need any touch-ups, it can use it's not a perfect 4K, if they went back and rescanned it, Disney has the rights to that, so that's absolutely not gonna happen but if they do ever go back, I'd be a huge fan of that, I would grab that again I think it's definitely worth it for the price that they're charging, I'm not too sure what it's going for right now but whatever it is, if it's under 20 bucks, I think it would be a steal. And then our next question, very similar question, is from at PlanetBazer, and he wrote How good slash rare is the original Predator in 4K and Blu-ray? I got it for $11 at Walmart in the clearance bin, and I I don't know whether it's a score or not. Well, I actually have that same 4K Blu-ray right here. And I think the reason why you were able to get it for so cheap is because it's been out for a few years. And also, there's a rumor going around that Prey is going to be coming to 4K. Prey is the most recent Predator film. And there was this 4K came out along with a nice... Uh, I don't remember how many films it was, 4K Collection, and that's really cheap right now as well, where you can get all the movies on 4K. Now, I only have Predator on 4K, and then I have the rest of them in this Blu-ray set. I'm not a big fan of the rest of the sequels. I also have the Predator on 4K that Matt gave me on Steelbook. Um, I just always felt like Predator is one of the best sci-fi action movies of all time. Predator 2 is a huge step down. It's got its moments. Predators is pretty enjoyable. The Predator is god-awful, and Prey is actually really good. It is the second best film in the franchise by far. You know, it's a pretty big gap between first and second, but I think Prey actually closes that gap pretty well, and I think eventually, and the rumor is, we're going to get that on 4K, so I think we'll get a brand new collection with all the films in it. And I don't know if they're going to be working on a new scan of Predator, so maybe that's why it's a little bit cheaper. But maybe they just adjusted the price because it's been out for a couple of years. The rumor is Prey's coming to 4K. We'll probably get a brand new collection on 4K, and that's why the prices have been going down for that. But if the scan itself that's in this Predator 4K is gorgeous. Now, the previous Blu-ray, which again I have right here, is Awful. It's a terrible Blu-ray. It's one of the worst Blu-rays out there. The 4K fixes almost all of its issues. The 4K itself, not the best 4K ever, but it's a really, really, really damn good 4K. And $11 is honestly a steal for it. I think I spent like $23 when I bought this on 4K, and I was ecstatic about it. It really does just clean everything up. The resolution increases so much. It turns into a beautiful looking film. And that's a surprise because the previous Blu-ray was pretty damn ugly. I don't remember what it would look like on DVD, but I know I had the DVD. But the Blu-ray, which I watched a bunch of times, was pretty bad. And you don't even realize how bad it is until you watch it on 4K. And that 4K just cleans up that Blu-ray just so much. It's definitely the definitive edition of Predator. So I could, I'm really happy that you were able to grab that for so cheap. Um, it's pretty rare. I'm actually surprised it was only $11. I... I wouldn't expect it to be that cheap unless it was around Black Friday, but that just leads me to believe even more that they definitely are working on that Prey 4K and that rumor. Probably will turn out to be true. I don't know when we'll get it. My best guess, maybe we'll hear about it soon for November. Feels like a November kind of a release in my opinion. So that was a great question, Planet Bazaar. I really appreciate that. I love being asked about doing some reviews, some short reviews here in the... uh, on the podcast, I appreciate that so much thank you very much buddy, and now we're gonna get into the Kevin L portion of the show where he asks us a bunch of questions, and I'm gonna answer all those right now, and the first one is how would he reboot the Star Wars franchise well, if I was rebooting the franchise I would say go back to the Knights of the Old Republic, if you guys remember the Knights of the Old Republic video games, now there's been rumors that that's what the next film adaptations are gonna be but if you go back to that and you have no connection to Luke and Leia and the whole Skywalker saga, I think we gotta get away from that, I mean they've been doing that with other shows i mean Andor is tied into the skywalker saga but it doesn't feel like it, it kind of feels like its own entity so really i feel like you gotta try and just pull back you have this whole galaxy far far away that you could work with and we're only really concentrating on the melodrama between the Skywalker characters and everybody that surrounds them. So I really think it would be cool if they just kind of got away from that, maybe go back a thousand years and look at what the Sith and the Jedi were doing them. Did they exist? Did they not? I'm not a, I'm not somebody who goes and reads into the lore of Star Wars. And I know I'm a film fan first. I'm not a big comic book guy. I'm not really into fan fiction. I'm not even into things that aren't canon. It's just Personal preference. I don't have enough time of the day to go in and look into all of that stuff, even though I do love Star Wars. So if I was rebooting it, I'd say we get away from the Skywalkers, head into the past, try and have something that doesn't really connect to the films that we know. Try and tell an original story, still call it Star Wars. That should be enough to sell it. You know, have lightsabers, have guns, um, you know, have some ships in there that look familiar but aren't familiar. Like they look like they're the beginning of what the future would look like in this franchise. I think that's how you reboot the Star Wars films. Don't have Darth Vader in there you can have like a Darth Vader kind of character but like look what they did with Darth Maul and they ended up ruining that character in so many different ways they still left them hanging in solo so I think there's a bunch of different avenues and ways you can choose to go I personally would just do that get away from everything that's connected right now we don't need any hints of Kylo Ren or Rey just go back tell an original story if it's connected to the Knights of the Old Republic I'm down with that those games were great and those felt original everyone cared about those characters in those games and they were just created for the games and you know it proves that it can be done Disney though they only see money and because they only see money they see the name Skywalker and they think that's what's gonna sell Darth Vader sells right that's it it doesn't matter that the Star Wars name can sell itself you know you might have to take a step back as far as money which you pretty much burned all your money anyway with everything that's been going on with you know the strikes and how you've watered down the star wars franchise and the marvel franchise as it is you know what i think it's time for a fresh reboot give it some new life give it you know still put the star wars name on it but try and step away from what the franchise has become and what it's known for because at this current point we've got enough of it I don't think we need to go back to it. The original original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and the sequel trilogy will always be there. You'll always have Andor on Disney+, Plus, The Mandalorian. But I think it's time to tell a brand new story that has no connections to what we already know. So that's what I think we should do. And then he asked, what are your favorite scenes from the following movies? Number one is the Toxic Avenger. Uh, my favorite scene from the Toxic Avenger, it's a really quick scene. I probably can't even get a clip for it. But he's like wearing the merchandise for the Toxic Avenger. So if you've seen the Toxic Avenger, it's a trauma movie. So it's very, very low budget. Very gory. Very gritty. Very over-the-top funny. A little bit ridiculous. But I absolutely love the Toxic Avenger movie. They're all coming to 4K, by the way, August 29th. I'm still trying to get those, but I can't swing the money right now. I would love to review all of them. I'm a big fan of the first Toxic Avenger, especially. You know, it's very tongue-in-cheek, very meta so when he gets turned into the toxic avenger first of all i switch actors but you know he just becomes this vigilante like fighting crime and then at one point people are starting to love him and, you know he's just like posing with the american flag and he's got a toxic avenger hat on i i just crack up every time i see that it's just such a quick paced moment that if you blink and you'll miss it but it's still fantastic i love that moment uh number two he asked what about saw three um I don't even remember. So so I remember Saw 1, Saw 2. Saw 3 takes place, if I remember correctly, at the same time as Saw... And I believe that's the one where Amanda's in the room with Jigsaw. I think he has to get brain surgery at the same time. Yeah. So basically, she's in there with him. And the other guy who will find out the very... This is a spoiler. At the very end is married to the girl who's doing the brain surgery on him. So there's a big connection there. But I actually just love the end of this movie when we get that big reveal that the husband and wife are married. And that because Amanda fucked up and couldn't control herself... Now this guy is gonna end up killing her, so it was a really big surprise because in Saw Two we built up Amanda as this, you know, she was in the first Saw, now she's in the second Saw as possibly the replacement for jigsaw but they killed her off pretty fast in three uh number four ghostbusters afterlife well i'm a fucking child so of course the best thing in ghostbusters afterlife was the little mini marshmallows destroying the walmart i thought that was hysterical you know they're killing each other they're burning each other they're making s'mores out of each other like i get it that was pretty damn stupid but if you're asking me if i was laughing in the theater when that happened i was i was laughing hysterically i thought that was i just really thought that was so funny (laughs) i loved it i know it was cheap and a lot of people probably didn't care about it and I know a lot of people who watch this channel aren't a big fan of Ghostbusters Afterlife but I enjoyed it for what it was is it as good as Ghostbusters 1 and 2 of course not but you know I thought it was still an enjoyable film and you get Paul Rudd in there and Paul Rudd's just always charming I still had a good time with it I'm looking forward to see what they do with the next one but yeah the marshmallows the little mini marshmallows that was perfect and Batman forever wow that's actually tough because I do really love Batman forever uh my favorite scene in Batman forever though. I think there's like a montage in the middle that has Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey's Two-Face and Joker, like, going around, like, robbing places. I think at one point they're in a jewelry store and just robbing everything. They're looking at the diamonds. It's also kind of intertwined with, you know, Jim Carrey's Edward Ed, Ed, Edward Nygma's box that they're putting on top of the TV and everything. Um, so I love that little montage that they have going on, just showing these guys being villains. Plus, the movie is just so colorful and neon colored. Like, I do enjoy Batman Forever a lot. I just don't like Val Kilmer as Batman. That's the thing that takes me out of it. I think Val Kilmer is actually the worst Batman we've ever had. And if you ever saw the documentary Val, which is on Amazon Prime right now, he talks about the fact that he hated wearing the Batsuit so much he couldn't hear. And that's the reason why a lot of his dialogue is delivered the way it is, is because he couldn't hear anyone, so he was just really doing his lines, and that's why there's no emotion behind it. And I always felt like that was the biggest flaw. Like I've heard people say, George Clooney's the worst. George Clooney ain't great. And Batman and Robin is awful, but I still think he's a better Batman just because Val Kilmer is just giving no emotion whether he's Bruce Wayne or Batman. So unfortunately, I just don't love Batman Forever as much as I used to love it, but I still really go back to it. And it's a very underrated Halloween film. Beetlejuice. Mr. Tally-man, tally me banana. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, When they're all singing Deo at the table and they're all possessed, first of all that scene is just so entertaining, but also just think about what the actors had to go through for that. They have to put the shock on their face like they don't understand why their body is being possessed while they're all dancing and everything around the table. They all have to do this choreographed dance, but their facial expressions don't match their body, and this scene is fantastic. It's obviously the best scene in this film and it doesn't even feature Beetlejuice it's just you know Catherine O'Hara and everybody else at the table doing this whole little number that's what I mean like I'm not a big fan of musicals but this scene is fantastic this is a top 50 movie scene of all time and it's easily of in obviously Tim Burton's number one or two best film ever because Beetlejuice is a stone cold classic But that is the best scene in Beetlejuice. Ah, Return to the Living Dead. Now, this one is tough, but I'm going to have to go with the scene where the cops are first showing up and they get attacked by the zombies and the zombie grabs the microphone. Send the cops. That is great. Like, you really see the scope of this movie, because for the most part, this is a very contained small movie, but I love what they do here, how much zombies are on screen, how many cops are on screen, and again, leaning into the tongue-in-cheek nature of this movie, the funniness of it, works perfectly in that scene, and that's my favorite scene from Return of the Living Dead, which I still say is the best zombie film of all time. Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Wow, that one is not my favorite of the Star Wars Original Trilogy, mainly because of the Ewoks. But my favorite scene in that movie is probably the whole first third of the movie when they're at Jabba's Palace. Everything leading up to the you know, the pit that What's-His-Name falls into, um, Boba Fett and everything like that. Everything leading up to that moment is pretty much perfect, the best part of the movie. I actually wish that the whole movie was like that. I just love that now Luke has become this fully trained Jedi. We get to see him at his full strength. That's why people were so happy when he showed back up on The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. And that's the Luke that we got in those movies. So I really absolutely love that scene. I mean, it's more than one scene, I think, but that whole first third of Return of the Jedi, that's my favorite part of it. And then, It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2 is definitely not as good as the first, but It Chapter 2 does have its moments in the first third of the movie when they're sitting at the Chinese restaurant reminiscing about everything that happened in their childhood that leads up to, you know, the scene with uh the adult actors and matching up to the kid actors from the first one, you see how well the movie It Chapter 2 was cast. They didn't stick the landing, but I don't think you could stick the landing for that book. I just think it's impossible. The It 1990 miniseries had the exact same problem. This one did it way better than that. We didn't have a gigantic prosthetic fucking spider that looks stupid as hell in this one, but we still got... uh, You know, I get it, but I just didn't love the very ending of It Chapter 2. If you guys haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it here, but... Uh, It just doesn't stick the landing. But I did like seeing them all as a group, seeing all the adult actors basically trying to do what the children actors did in the first movie. And the kid actors in this movie, you know, they bring them back and de-age them. And that's really just because people were so connected to the first It movie that they wanted to see it again. But I think that they really just should have stuck with the adult actors, not had the kid actors in there. And I think you would have got a better film. And then Drive. So Drive is actually a fantastic film. I love the score to this movie and the soundtrack to this movie. Ryan Gosling is perfect. And it's this, like just silent, menacing killer. And the best scene in this movie is the elevator scene. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. Because I feel like this is a very underseen film in general. Uh, it's got a really nice second sight 4K Blu-ray release that I wish I had because I'm still just holding on to my old Blu-ray. But I remember people being really disappointed with this movie when it first came out because the trailers didn't match the film. They didn't know what they were going into. This is a real like neo-noir dark story. Even Albert Brooks is in this movie and he is not funny. He's scary as shit. Um, I think Brian Cranston pops up in this one as well. Really good movie if you haven't seen Drive. The director's follow-ups... Uh, more missed than hit in my opinion, but we'll always have drive and it just shows the range of Ryan Gosling. The guy who's in Barbie is in this movie doing the exact opposite thing that he would do in Barbie. And the next question is, how would you rank the following scores? Halloween, Batman 1989, The Exorcist, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Jaws, E.T., Jurassic Park, and Indiana Jones. Well, number one, I'm gonna have to put Batman 1989, Danny Elfman's iconic score. I listened to the score- all the time. It's from one of my favorite movies ever made. Uh, I think it moves the movie along perfectly. Danny Elfman and Tim Burton had a great working relationship. It's really funny. I think the only score that Danny Elfman didn't do for him was Ed Wood, but the guy who did the score for Ed Wood sounds very much like a Danny Elfman score, so I always thought that was pretty funny. And number two is going to be John Williams, E.T. That is my favorite John Williams score. Easily the best that he's ever done, in my opinion, and I really think that there's this thing on YouTube where you can watch the end of E.T. without John Williams' score, and if you want to ever see how important the score to that film is, go watch that scene. And then at number three, I'm going to put Star Wars. I assume you're talking about A New Hope, but if you're talking overall, I'm going to go with the original trilogy because A New Hope is scored great, and he actually did that score the same year as he did Close Encounters of the Third and Kind, which is really incredible. He worked with Spielberg and George Lucas at the exact same time, the exact same year, and gave us two Iconic scores. Star Wars kind of, the score kind of gets a lot better once we get to The Empire Strikes Back because I think that's the first time we get, you know, the Darth Vader theme. Um, I think that might even be the first time we get the Imperial March. I could be wrong on that, so don't quote me on it. But I really think that. Either the way, any way you spin it, it's still perfect, the Star Wars score. It's iconic. When you hear it, you know it. Um, They even use it in other movies like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I still don't know how they did that, but it's really funny. Um, And number four, I'd put The Exorcist. The theme to The Exorcist is just iconic. It was my ringtone for a long time. It's scary as hell. You hear it, you know it, and it really makes that movie just... Perfect, and we just recently lost William Friedkin, so it's really sad. R.I.P. to him. He did more than just The Exorcist. I just rewatched The uh, Cruising last night, and if you haven't seen Cruising, uh, check it out. You might like it. Crazy ending, by the way, and just a good movie, though. And number five, I'm gonna put Jurassic Park because. I think that John Williams' best piece of music he's ever conducted is in this film. When they first see the dinosaurs, and you know Sam Neill's hands shaking, and he turns Lord Dern's head to look at it, and the score's just kicking in. I mean, that will bring that'll bring tears to your eyes. You'll feel that chill up your spine. You'll have goosebumps on your arms. The hair will be raised. I mean, and that's just the score doing all the heavy lifting. Yes, the CGI is amazing. Steven Spielberg's direction is amazing, but the score is what's getting you there. And that, I have to put it high just for that. Even if the rest of the score isn't as iconic as some things that are lower than this, it's still that one piece of music is perfect. And next, we got Indiana Jones. And every single Indiana Jones film has had different scores. John Williams doesn't like to go back and listen to his previous scores. Like, Jaws 2 is nothing like Jaws 1. It's the same thing with the Indiana Jones movies. You know, you have Indiana Jones theme, but the rest of the film is scored different, so like, The Last Crusade isn't going to sound like Raiders of the Lost Ark. They sound similar, but Temple of Doom doesn't sound like any of them. So, that's why I had to put that a little bit lower, even though I do love all the scores that John Williams does for them. And then after that, I got Halloween. Uh, Halloween, John Carpenter scored that film, and it is done great. John Carpenter easily could have just made scores for movies, and that could have just been it because he pretty much scored all of his films or at least helped out on them, even helped out with the more recent Halloween films his son and uh, somebody else so John Williams definitely knows the thing about music knows the thing about directing you know he liked to make his movies on a very low budget him and the guys he liked to work with they made these movies they all work together made them all work at a very low budget and I absolutely love the Halloween score and uh, the Halloween theme even the Halloween score from 2017 is really good if you haven't checked that one out I listened to that one a lot it's like almost like a modernized version of the original Halloween score <laughs> Obviously not done as well because you don't have enough time has passed. And it's just, you know, it's iconic for 1978. And then next up, I got Jaws. Jaws is a great score. Has one of the most famous pieces of music ever in it. I'm just not a big fan of Jaws. I have a couple videos and podcasts on this channel about Jaws so you can hear my full thoughts about it. But, you know, for me, Jaws is just not my kind of film. I appreciate the movie so much. It's Steven Spielberg. But I don't love it like other people love it. I wish I did. Maybe one day I will. But... Currently I don't and the score unfortunately gets wrapped up in that. It's still so well done though, I can't take anything away from John Williams. And then last is the Lord of the Rings. It's just cause I don't have as much time with that score as all the rest of them on this list. I've only listened to it like on soundtrack like once, I think, and you know obviously it helps the movies a lot, but I've never sat down really and just listened to the score to appreciate it, so I have to put it at last just for that reason. And our last question from Kevin Allen, the last question of the week is What is your favorite movie that takes place in the following cities? Number one is detroit and that easily goes to robocop have you ever thought of a movie that's tied in more to an area than, De- than detroit to robocop they're even trying to upend detroit and make it new detroit right where old detroit is laying and that you know that's a big part of this movie is uh detroit itself as much as the movie is about robocop and corporations the corporations control the cops and they also control detroit so it plays a huge part in the movie and i think robocop is one of the best films ever it's a great satire it's very meta It's Speaking on the world, that has a message that still holds up today. And on top of that, it's a great 80s action movie. And it's just so much fun. Great performances throughout. Kurtwood Smith gives his most iconic performance. And I love Red Foreman. But still, that is his most iconic performance in this. Peter Weller is great. Everybody is great in this movie. Um, I just think that this is a fantastic film. It's one of my top ten favorite films of all time. Great Arrow 4K Blu-ray out there if you haven't gotten a hold of that yet. And number two is L.A., And L.A. is really hard because how many movies take place in L.A.? A lot of them. I would say L.A. and New York have definitely the most amount of movies take place in those areas. L.A. mainly because they film in L.A. So it's really easy just to go outside. But my favorite film ever takes place in L.A. So it made answering this question very easily. And that would be The Terminator. The Terminator is obviously my favorite film. Of all time, it came out in 1984, and it actually makes L.A. look different. Yes, they have the site at the observatory where they overlook L.A., and then most of the movie spends its time in, like, the gritty, dark areas of L.A. and back alleys. You know, L.A. never looks so nasty and run down. I've never been to L.A., so I don't know how, you know, it would be comparable. Plus, it also takes place in 1984, which is almost 40 years ago now, so it's not going to look the same, but still, easily the best film to take place in L.A. And then at number three, London, A Fish Called Wanda is what I would pick for that. If you guys haven't seen A Fish Called Wanda, this is a fantastic movie. John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, and for me, Kevin Kline, won the Academy Award for this, by the way, is fantastic. I still shout, asshole, the way he says it in this movie is ridiculous. Kevin Kline is one of the most underappreciated, underrated actors we've ever got. He is an Academy Award winner for this movie. He does a great job in it, but yeah, London, a lot of movies, Like it was hard not to pick movies like Skyfall... But I was trying to pick a movie that takes place mostly in London. You know, you have movies that, like, travel to London for, like, the Mission Impossible movies. All those movies that, like, travel the world they might make stops in London. But I wanted to pick a movie that stayed in London and a movie that really doesn't get talked about that much anymore. And A Fish Called Wanda is one of those special movies that I'm really hoping doesn't get lost to the test of time. It's a really funny movie from the 1980s. And for Tokyo, I actually have, have two choices. So first would be Lost in Translation, 2003's. Sophia Coppola directed film. Supposedly we're getting a 4K Blu-ray of that from Keanu Laura. Fingers crossed. I love this movie starring Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray. Two people just lost in the world. Um. one of them is a, is a is an actor maybe past his prime stuck in a city he doesn't know anything about Scarlett Johansson's there with her husband who doesn't give a shit about her so she's just really lonely while he's there working And the two of them form a friendship. A friendship that doesn't involve in the sex or anything like that. They just want connection. And this movie tells such a beautiful story. Has a great ending. And I love this movie. And never made Tokyo look better. And then I also had Akira. Which is a fantastic 1980s anime film. One of the most famous anime films of all time. And, you know, that one's obviously dealing with New Tokyo. But still Tokyo. And I love that movie. It's still my favorite anime. It's either that or Ghost in the Shell. I go back and forth. They're both great. Probably Ghost in the Shell if I'm being honest honest. I watch that one every year. So I'm going to go for New York. I'm going to go for Spike Lee's 1989 classic, Do the Right Thing. New York has never looked hotter. Spike Lee captured this, the heat of this day in New York. How everyone just can't deal with the heat as the movie just starts to bubble up to the surface and we end up at this huge climatic ending. I mean, my God, what a fantastic movie. I'm going to review this 4K for the channel at some point because Do the Right Thing is one of my favorite films ever. I mean, they painted the buildings red so this movie just looks gorgeous on your screen. The colors pop off but again, just capturing the heat of New York City in the summer I'm from New York not from the city though but I'm from New York so I just know exactly what that looks like it felt real and obviously Spike Lee's from New York as well so he knows what he's doing definitely the best movie to take place in New York and there's been a lot of them I could have gone a million different ways with this But that is my personal choice. And for Boston, I got The Town. Obviously, I got to pick a Boston boy, and no one's better than Ben Affleck. You know, he directed this movie. But getting Jeremy Renner is great in this movie as well. I absolutely love The Town. One of the best heist movies ever made. Blake Lively actually even turns in a good performance in here. Just this movie... Top to bottom, it's thrilling, it's exciting. Boston never looked great. The climax takes place at Fenway Field. You can't think of a better Boston film, in my opinion. Now, I was going to go with the verdict, and that might be a personal choice because I think the verdict is almost the perfect film. One of the best courtroom dramas we've ever had. Paul Newman's best performance, in my opinion. But, you know, the town feels more Boston than that, in my opinion. And Chicago was tough because there's two movies I think that really... Uh oh, just capture Chicago. Now a lot of people might pick the Blues Brothers, but for me I'm gonna pick either Thief or Candyman. Candyman is my favorite horror film of all time. It takes place in Chicago. As Chicago plays a huge part of it. You know, they have the opening of this movie takes place with the camera, I guess in a helicopter shot, going over the streets of Chicago. We're seeing everything. It feels like Chicago. And, you know, the movie is, you know, it could be just a very simple tale of Bloody Mary. But it's so much more than that. It's got a deep message dealing with the city of Chicago in there. So it tell, it's a very important film for Chicago. So for me, as much as I love Thief, that would be my number two. I'm still going to have to put Candyman at number one. And then last but not least is Miami. Now, most people might pick Scarface here, but I'm going to go with Ace Ventura. Because not only is it in Miami, but it involves the Miami Dolphins and Snowflake, the dolphin for the Miami Dolphins. Ace Ventura is one of the greatest movie characters ever, played by one of my favorite actors of all time, Jim Carrey. And This is the movie that really put him on the map. He was kind of on the map with In Living Color, but this... 1994, between this, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber, he was on top of the world. He had all three of those movies come out in the same year, but Ace Ventura is a stone-cold classic. I quote this movie every single day in my life. I mean, there's just so much going on in this film, and it, it feels like a Miami movie, the Miami police cars, you get Sean Young in here as the chief of police, uh, if you know, obviously you get Dan Marino, the most famous Miami Dolphin of all time, can you think of a more Miami movie than this, and plus, again, Snowflake, that's not Snowflake, that's not Snowflake, so that would be my choice for that. Anyway guys I want to thank you all who sent in questions this week. I really do appreciate it. If you want to send in some questions for next week please make sure you leave those in the comment section below or you can wait for the post on Wednesday and I'll ask for your questions there. And while you guys are down in that comment section don't forget to like this video and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to this on all podcast services please make sure you give us a 5 star rating especially if you're on Apple Podcasts so that they can keep pushing this. We would really appreciate that. And if you're listening to this also on podcast, make sure you head over to YouTube and subscribe to us there and vice versa. And I just want to thank you guys all so much for being a supporter and a fan of Let's Talk. We really really appreciate that here. Thank you guys all so much. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your weekend, the rest of your day. And after you're done doing all that, I want you guys to get out in the streets and tell your friends about us. We'll be seeing you around.